Good morning, I'm Stephen, I'm the pastor, and I uh, want to, I guess, invite you to take out your, your, pro, your bulletin. You can take notes if you want. The verse that we're going to look at, the portion of the verse we're going to look at today is there. There's a place to take notes. Um, we're beginning a series today called Prayer That Cultivates the Soul. And I think when we say the word prayer, Sometimes we have like reactions that aren't super, super positive. Um, I think for a lot of people, both inside the church and outside, prayer can be confusing. You know, you're talking to God. What exactly does that mean? People have tried it. Sometimes it feels like it works and sometimes it feels like, what am I doing? I think I just talked to the ceiling for a second. I mean, how exactly are you supposed to pray? Um, sometimes prayer feels like a shot in the dark, right? You're just sort of speaking into the universe. Um, and it's not just that it's confusing, but prayer can also be convicting. And if you spend any amount of time in the church, prayer is sometimes one of those things that makes people just feel guilty because most people feel like they don't pray enough, right? Prayer is this good thing. We should pray, obviously, like how could we not pray? I mean, we have the chance to talk to God. Like, What are we doing with our lives? We could talk to God. You know, if we had access to uh, important, powerful people in our industry or that, that love what we love, we would be on the phone with them as much as we possibly could. And yet with the God of the universe, you know, I've got like eight things I have to do right now. I don't have time to pray. And then we feel guilty about that. And so prayer is confusing and convicting. <laughs> but that's not what it's supposed to be, Right? Prayer wasn't designed by God to make us feel confused or guilty. Um, prayer is designed to cultivate our souls. I mean, that's what it's for. Prayer is designed for us to know God and have a deepening and broadening relationship with him. Um, it's to know God better. It's to know ourselves better as we relate to him. Prayer is designed to make our souls go deeper, broader, richer, and fuller. And, and this year, this whole year, we're focusing on the life of the soul and our understanding of the soul. What is a soul? Well, we have an understanding here that I introduced last week. Here it is. The soul is every bit of the non-physical part of us. So every bit of the non-physical part of us. So that's spiritual, intellectual, emotional, and psychological. These are the elements of our soul. And the question is then, how do we cultivate the soul with our prayers? How can our prayers help cultivate and foster life in all of these non-physical areas of our lives? And the good news is that Jesus teaches us how to do this in Matthew 6, verse 9. And this is what he says. He says, pray then like this. Here you go. He says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So this most famous of prayers begins in this most famous way, uh, the Our Father, as it's called in the Catholic world, the, the Lord's Prayer, as it's called more in the Protestant world, um, begins with these famous words, our Father in heaven, our Father in heaven. Um, and what's striking, what's striking to me is that in this most famous of prayers, in this most famous beginning of this most famous prayer, 
barriers in our hearts and our souls immediately go up. So with the opening words of this prayer, where Jesus says, pray then like this, the words that he teaches us to pray cause negative reactions in so many people. I'm going to tell you something that happened um, because it relates to this message. Um, but before I tell you how it relates to this message, I've got to tell you something that's very deeply meaningful and painful for me. Last week, I told you that my dad was given three to six months to live. Um, well, this week, my dad died. Um, he passed away. And, um, and in this, there is incredible grief. Um, but in the midst of the grief, I just want you to know that we see God's grace. Uh, we can see God's grace in the midst of the pain. We see his grace in the time that God gave us to spend with him especially of these last two weeks. Uh, we see grace in how my brother was able to, I mean, he just coincidentally happened to be in Los Angeles um, two weeks ago, and then he was able to come back this last week. We see grace in the time that God gave us to be with my dad um, in the way that we were able to prepare, the way that we knew it was coming. We weren't sure how soon, but we knew it was coming. And we see God's grace in the unbelievably amazing conversations that we were able to have with my dad. Um, I shared some of those conversations with you last week, um, and they just continued. But we had deep, loving, meaningful conversations um, as he was preparing to enter into eternity. And Ironically, coincidentally, God's in control of everything. He knows how to work really good grace in grief. Um, one of the conversations that we had was about prayer. and was about this prayer. Because I was trying to think, like, what kinds of things could I encourage my dad, who's Catholic, um, as he's, you know, in a hospital bed, as he's at home, like, what could I encourage him to do? And I thought, oh, I should encourage him to pray the Our Father, because that's a prayer that, you know, Catholic people spend a lot of time praying. And so I was like, Dad, let's talk about, you know, you could pray this prayer. Like, why don't you think about this prayer? And then I would love to talk you through and, and let's talk about what this prayer means to just sort of enrich uh, his prayer life as he was getting ready to meet God face to face. And, and, um, and my dad immediately said, I actually don't like to pray to God as Father. I prefer to pray to Jesus. And my reaction as, as a teacher of the Bible, as a pastor, as someone who has um, found incredibly rich and wonderful experiences with God as Father, I wanted to be like, I wanted to go into like a four-point outline about God as Father and how powerful and wonderful it is to have God and be able to call him Father. And, you know, I mean, I love Jesus too, um, you know, but like, oh my goodness. And so, uh, and so I, you know, I was ready to, to unload, but Instead, I chose to listen. That's usually a good thing. I'm, I'm learning how to do that more, um, lately even more. And so I just asked him, Dad, why? Tell me about that. And uh, he said, I don't really know, but I just like the idea that Jesus came and saved me. And I was thinking, wow, that makes sense. You know, I love that too. And so I kept asking and I kept listening. And, um, and I said, hey, Dad, I think I met grandpa like maybe twice 
but I think I don't even think I was five years old the second time I met him. I don't know anything about him. Like, can you tell me what he was like? And my dad told me uh, that his relationship with his dad, it wasn't good. He told me his dad was distant, he was aloof, and he was abusive and harsh. And as he's talking to me, I thought to myself, oh, well, no wonder he doesn't connect to God as father. Um, that association for him is not a pleasant one. And I know that my dad's experience is incredibly common. Um, for so many people, the role of father is not a positive role. Um, for so many people, it means someone who is absentee, someone who's judgmental, someone who's harsh, or even someone who like, works hard and, and takes care but isn't personally available. Right? Someone, he's not someone you can connect with, not somebody that, uh, um, yeah, I mean, just sometimes harsh, cold, even abusive. And here's what I'm learning and have learned is that you can teach on the fatherhood of God all you want. You can explain it. You can, you can quote the Bible. You can, you, you can communicate that God is father all you want. But for so many people, that teaching will not land in their souls. And that's because there's something stronger than the intellect in our souls that receives the teaching that actually shapes our lives. Um, and it's not that the mind isn't part of the soul. It's not that thinking isn't part of the soul. It is. But there are things that are deeper than our minds. There are things that are stronger and more controlling that are parts of our brains. I mean, our souls include our minds, and teaching is important, but our souls also include our emotions and our psychology. Uh, there's a part of the brain called the amygdala. And again, I'm learning this. I've been learning this the last couple of years. And the amygdala stores memories, and it produces our reactions to situations. And those reactions are deeper and they're more primal than our intellectual reasoning. Uh, and sometimes our reactions aren't even rational. Sometimes they are pre-rational. Like before we even know what we're doing, we're reacting. Have you ever felt that way? I'm going to give you an example of that here in just a second. But these things, even though they're, they're pre-rational or they're deeper than rational, they are still incredibly real. And in fact, they are more real to the person sometimes than the intellectual ways that they think about life. So I want to give you kind of a funny example of this that I think you'll be able to relate to. Um, I want to talk to you about spiders, okay? Let's talk about spiders. You can come and you can talk to me about spiders. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Um, this is a spider. You can teach me about spiders. You can tell me how small they are. You can tell me that even though they scurry along and they feel like they're moving lightning fast, <laughs> spiders actually move at like a mile and a half an hour, <laughs> right? That's how fast, they, they don't move quickly, right? They can't cross over an entire room uh, in like half a second, right? You have lots of time before you need to get out of the way, right? You can explain to me all you want about spiders and I will listen and I will agree with you. I will agree with you. I'll say you're right. Spiders are small. Spiders are slow. 
spiders are, you know, they're, they're really not that big a deal. But when one of those eight-legged monsters gets anywhere near me, I freak out. I jump, I yell, I, I mean, it's crazy because there have been moments in my life where I'm on the, like, I don't know, I'm on the deck, I'm outside, or if I'm inside the house, and all of a sudden I see a spider and I go, ah! <laughs> Two, three second delay, and you can hear Lainey go from another room, another part of the house, spider? <laughs> yeah. So, I have this emotional reaction to spiders. That emotional reaction is fear. <laughs> it's fear. So that's my relationship with spiders. Um, then there are crickets. Crickets look just like spiders, right? <laughs> exactly the same because those antenna, man, those, those are legs as far as I'm concerned, right? I mean, they look exactly the same. And it's crazy. It's crazy. Here's what's crazy. It's crazy, 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 crazy. When I see a cricket, I don't care. When I see a cricket, my body moves toward it. When I see a cricket, I want to get closer. I can touch a cricket. I can grab a cricket in my hand. I can hold a cricket in my hand even when it's wiggling. Like it's moving and I can hold it. I can grab a cricket in two fingers and I can put it in a cage with a frog and delight and watch the frog eat the cricket. Okay, here's what's so unbelievably relevant. All this is going to tie back into our Father in Heaven. It's coming back. I'm not just telling you an irrelevant story. This is so important for you. This, if you understand this, is going to open a door to a pathway that will lead you to be able to cultivate depth and understanding in your soul. So I'm still having fun with you here, and we're going to keep having fun for just a couple more seconds, but then this is going to directly tie in. Because here's what's interesting is that there are times when I see something crawling, and even before I know what it is, my body reacts to it. Before I know if it's a spider or a cricket, I see something crawling and I freak out and it's a spider. I see something else in my peripheral vision. I don't know what it is, but I move toward it and it's a cricket. And this isn't me, but I'm, not, I'm never wrong. There is something inside of me that is pre-rational before I'm able to identify it's a cricket or it's a spider and my body reacts to what it is. The amygdala, this part of our brain, it's the fight or flight part of our brain, and it stores, it stores experiences, it stores reactions, it stores emotions, and it reacts. The amygdala, and it reacts like your intellectual brain that identifies, oh, this thing, let's see, before I count the number of legs it has, now I can, you know, it, it takes me like a second and a half maybe to identify, oh, spider, cricket second and a half, right? My amygdala reacts in milliseconds. And we're wired this way because if we don't have this in us, then we die a lot more often. <laughs> we die a lot more often. So this reaction, like, <laughs> I was holding a coffee pot today. I was trying to clean it out. 
I had just unplugged the coffee pot. I flipped it over to clean out this other part of it, and I didn't realize it. Three of my fingers were touching the hot plate on the bottom of the coffee pot. And so that reacted before I even knew it was happening, right? So again, our amygdala reacts in milliseconds. So there is an emotional part of our brain that reacts to circumstances in our lives in milliseconds, even before our intellect can register what's going on. Are you with me? You get that? Okay. So, friends, we all have experiences with our earthly fathers. We all have experiences with authorities in our lives. We all have experiences with church. Some of those experiences are positive. For some of us, some of those experiences are incredibly negative. And the emotions that we feel from those experiences are deeply rooted in the emotional part of our brain. And they cause us to react in ways that we can't even intellectually articulate. My dad doesn't know why, or didn't know why, he couldn't pray to God as father. He just had this association that any time he thought about father, he would think of his dad, and that would cause him to retreat. That would cause him to think of negative things. And so the same thing is true of us. Like many of us have experiences with our fathers that keep us from embracing what this prayer is opening up for our souls. Um, from thinking about this part of the prayer as being inviting to God or positive. Um, our experiences with our earthly fathers can keep us from reacting to God the Father as someone that we would want to draw near to. I remember a time, this is kind of what happens. I remember a time, this is about five years ago with Ryan. So he was about eight years old and I was, I was angry with him. Um, he had done something wrong, but in my disciplining of him, I had stepped over the line and I had sinned in my anger. So Ephesians 4, 26 or 27 says, be angry, but don't sin. Don't give the devil a foothold in your life because when we sin in our anger, we're actually inviting the devil in. But so I had sinned against Ryan because I overstepped. I squeezed too tight. I really wanted to make sure he felt guilty. And I just, just kept pushing and pushing and pushing, kind of broke him down in a way that wasn't healthy. It wasn't loving. Um, and I felt bad about it. And that night when I tucked him into bed, I said, hey, Ryan, I love you. And he said, I love you too, Dad. And afterwards, I had this thought about that experience that really scared me. Because, like, I know what love looks like, right? I know what love is and what it's supposed to look like. And how I acted was not love. And so when I tucked Ryan in and I said, hey, Ryan, I love you, what I meant was, in spite of what I did today, in spite of our interactions that evening, in spite of how I treated you, I really do love you. And going forward, I want to treat you and act differently from the way I acted. Like, that's what I meant when I said I love you. I was saying, like, I did this thing, and, 
but I love you, and my love for you is different from how I treated you, right? The thing that scared me was that later I realized that Ryan's experience of that I love you was probably different from mine. Because at eight years old, Ryan doesn't have a, fully under, a, full, a full awareness of what love is. Ryan's like sort of wet cement, you know, and we're putting things into the, imp- we're making impressions on him and on his soul. And because he doesn't understand love, you know, at this point yet, when I told him that I loved him, my fear was that I was saying, hey, Ryan, love includes the way I treated you tonight. We have this awful experience. And then I tell him, Ryan, I love you. I'm the person, one of the people in your life who loves you. And so what Ryan receives is, oh, okay, so this is what love is. And I thought, oh my goodness, like that, that parents have the power to actually imprint on their kids a definition of love by how they treat them. And so that, that freaked me out. I was terrified. Um, and, then I co- I, you know, and then I started connecting in my head, well, yeah, this is why people who have abusive parents marry people who are abusive because they don't have the discernment to unravel that sense of, like the people that love them treated them this way, so they think that being treated that way is part of love. So when a spouse or a pers- prospective spouse treats them that way, they think, oh, yeah, this is normal. Like, this is what love is. And so, and I just thought, my goodness, like, what am I doing to his soul? Like, I am hardwiring in him a love that includes being treated like this. And so, that made me feel awful. And so, I ended up going back to Ryan and tried to make it as clear. I mean, in some ways, it's like the damage is already done. But in other ways, it's like, well, God, your grace, your grace, can you please fix this? Can you please, like, somehow undo this. And so I went back to clarify. I was like, Ryan, hey, listen, look, I I love you. And what I did was not love. Um, I love you. And love would mean not treating you that way. That I should be able to correct you. I should be able to talk to you. I should be able to even discipline you in a way that is understanding, that is, um, we should be able to talk gently. And I mean, and, and so love is patient and it's understanding. And so I'm sorry for what I did. Will you please forgive me? Because what I was trying to do there is I was trying to like figure out a way to like get in between the way I acted and my, you know, and, and my love for him. So, yeah, so I haven't been this father that, that I wish I was. Um, and this invitation for us to pray using the words, our father, it, it can make us react based on our experience of our earthly fathers and our experience of, again, of authority in general. And the more negative it is, the harder it is for us to pray in this way. And so what this means is that there are times that we can receive teaching, where we can even receive the truth of God's word. We can hear it explained, but when when there is bad teaching or bad experiences that are connected to our emotions, then we actually have to let go of those bad feelings. We have to identify those bad experiences in order for us to even receive the new teaching. 
So again, this new teaching can sit in our intellect, but when we actually go to pray, what is more real to us is our experience with our earthly fathers. It's our experiences that have shaped us and sometimes misshaped us, and it will trump any kind of teaching, even from the Bible. Like, that's what happens. And so you won't be able to receive the teaching. Like, this is that dynamic of it hits your intellect, it hits your mind, but it doesn't hit your heart, right? And then the mind and heart dichotomy, your mind is sort of shorthand for your intellectual capacity and your heart is more of a, is more your psychological aspects, your more emotional aspects. Um, it's all the soul. All of it is the soul. And sometimes our souls are hurt so badly that the mind can't get to it. The mind can't unearth that dynamic. You won't act, and so what happens is that you actually can't pray this prayer in a way that feels true. So again, this is, again, we're talking about prayer that cultivates the soul. And what we have to acknowledge is that for all of us in different ways, our souls have things that are part of them that keep us. There are blocks from us being able to actually connect to God. So without understanding this dynamic, without letting go of the bad experiences, um, the things that aren't reflections of God, you can't receive the new stuff, um, the new teaching, the new understanding. You can't have new experiences. Ironically, with my dad, um, his lungs were really bad, and so we got an education about how lungs work. Um, and they reminded me of this actual teaching, because in the lungs, what gets the lungs to receive oxygen from the air are called alveoli. Okay, and alveoli, those are like the broccoli things that are inside the lungs, right? They look like broccoli. Um, <clears throat> and they actually receive oxygen. So you breathe oxygen into your lungs, or you breathe air into your lungs, and the alveoli take on the oxygen. Now, what I learned in the hospital dealing with my dad was that when you have shortness of breath, when you're not breathing deeply, when you have shortness of breath, the alveoli in the lungs, they actually, they do two things. They both receive oxygen, but they also let go of the carbon dioxide. So your body takes in oxygen, that's what it needs to live, and then it lets go of carbon dioxide, that's um, what it, it needs to send out. And so when you have shortness of breath, these alveoli actually remain in this in clenched. They're like clenched. And so they've got the carbon dioxide and they're holding on to it. They won't let it go because when you're in shortness of breath, they're kind of like in a panic mode. They're stressed out. They like clench up, right? And so you can't let go of the carbon dioxide. And since you can't let go of the carbon dioxide, you can't actually receive oxygen, okay? Makes sense. You know, if you're holding on to something, I can't give you something to hold. And so <clears throat> the same thing is true about this understanding and our experiences and how they shape our ability to receive truth from God and his word. Because if you can't let go of the old view of God that you have, that you were taught by your earthly father or by a bad authority figure, then you can't receive this teaching right? If you hold on to the old stuff, the old experiences, that pain, you can't receive the teaching of Jesus that God is your father and that that's a wonderfully glorious reality. Now, again, what's 
fascinating to me and it was so illustrative is that to unclench the alveoli in your lungs, you have to breathe out twice as long as you breathe in. So if you want to take a breath that's a second inhale, you need to breathe out for two seconds. And so they teach you how to breathe. They teach you that you have to force yourself to breathe out in an extended period of time because when you do that, it relaxes the alveoli and it lets go of the carbon dioxide so that it can then receive the oxygen and you can live. You can live because the lungs send the oxygen to the blood and then the heart pumps it throughout the rest of the body and all the cells in your body need oxygen to live and to thrive. And so when you do that, you take in fresh air. And I think this illustrates, like, what do we do if we've got these negative experiences? What do we do with these negative realities that, we, that are part of our emotional reaction to the idea of Father? If you don't feel like you can come close to God because of, for whatever reason, you need to breathe this stuff out. And there's a period where you have to spend twice as much time acknowledging and identifying the bad experiences. Spend twice as much time identifying the bad teaching, the bad experiences, the bad relationships, those bad uh, realities that you've gone through. Um, and so for us, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you confess it like you would confess sin, because it's not necessarily sin, but to be able to say, my view of Father is shaped by this awful experience that I had. This awful experience was this. You need to be able to identify what those experiences were. Um, there's really two good ways to do this. <clears throat> um, the first way is, is to write. I mean, this is the joy of journaling or the, 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 the power of journaling. There's something incredibly powerful about you writing your thoughts down. Um, when they're up here, some, I mean, most of us can't think clearly when the thoughts are swirling here, but when you write things down, you state things, you, you make them clear. Your mind is able to articulate itself and you can take the reality of your experiences and you can put them on paper and you can then look at them, right? When you write them down, there's a sense to where there's a little bit of a separation and now you can kind of look and see what you've experienced and you can begin to not just swim in the middle of the experience, but you can kind of get out and look at it um, from outside. And so writing down your experiences is incredibly powerful. Um, if the idea of writing about these things is awful to you, um, you might hate even more the other way to do this. Um, but the other way to do this would be to talk about them with other people. Like friends that you have, a spouse. Um, I mean, if you need to, a counselor. Um, sometimes, because the point of talking about it, the point of writing about it, is to try to get outside to look at it, to be able to evaluate it, to be able to say, okay, this is my experience. Where am I going with this? This is my experience. How, how do I, well, like this is my experience, and then this is how this experience is affecting me. This is how it's hitting my relationship with God. This is how it's hitting my relationship with other people. And as you walk through that dynamic, you can begin 
this takes time. Like, it doesn't all happen in one fell swoop, right? Sometimes it's like, okay, I'm going to spend the next month just trying to make sure I can get my experiences down so I can look at them. You know, and then I might want to say, okay, well, this is my sense. Uh, I'm going to take another month to try to get a sense of this is how my experiences are affecting me and the relationships that I have, maybe with my spouse, maybe with my kids, maybe at work, maybe in situations, right, where now I'm seeing, oh, this, isn't, like, this, this experience is really affecting my life. And then it's like, okay, maybe the third step is how am I going to then, like how do I want to be able to respond to this? What help do I need to be able to process this? Um, I'm pausing here because we're out of time and I'm, I've got so much more to say. Um, well, I guess I just said that, you know, sometimes it takes a month to uh, identify what's going on and then we can talk about how it affects us. So, um, so let's pause there and... Uh, <clears throat> because that really is the application, I wanted to invite you to identify what are the experiences that have shaped your understanding of father. And some of them could be good experiences. You know, and it might be your father, it might be another father. Like I had experiences with other men growing up in my life who provided at times when my dad couldn't provide for me. And so I've had experiences of being fathered. Heck, I got fathered, um, <laughs> I got fathered by um, like a 65-year-old pastor uh, who was from Washington, D.C. last year and started a friendship that, where he really fathered me and just listened to me and affirmed me. And um, so, so, so maybe this week you can think through, like, how has your understanding of God as Father been shaped? What are the experiences that you've had in your life? And, uh, and then you, so you can ask, like, what are these experiences? How have they maybe affected some of my relationships? Um, and... Is there anything in the Bible that might offer itself as an alternative to my experience of Father in my life? Um, this is a great week to go to a life group, um, to be in community with other people, because you'll be able to talk about this. You'll be able to, or you can come and listen to other people talk about their experiences. You can stay silent while you listen to other people process this. Um, so... Yeah, there is, I mean, this whole year we're going to be cultivating the soul. And uh, this is a good place for us to start. Because if our identity as children of God are not settled, then we're going to kind of struggle as we move forward. And the good news is that we have a Father who is incredibly patient and loving. We have a Heavenly Father who really understands everything that we have gone through. Um, he understands why we do what we do even more than we do. And, uh, and knowing that, God wants to flood our lives and our, our, our souls, our minds and our hearts with grace so that this doesn't have to feel like, oh my goodness, I better fix this right away. This can look like, oh, you know what? I heard something today that felt deeply meaningful and potentially could be very powerful. 
and I want to walk forward, maybe take a step or two this week. And so let this verse, just our Father in heaven, um, grip your heart today and this week and process that. Um, let's pray. Our Father, thank you for not just teaching us, but for understanding us. Um, we do come and confess that we all have had experiences that have shaped and misshaped us. And so, God, we ask that, especially for those of us that have a hard time thinking about you as our Father, that you would send your Spirit, uh, your presence, uh, the Spirit of Jesus, uh, into our hearts right now so that we can hear you speak. Please place your loving and gentle hand in the areas of our lives that we need to give to you, that we need to openly acknowledge with you and maybe with other people so that we can talk about our experiences, so that we can unclench some of what's deep inside of us. Our desire is to replace all that is negative with the truth of your word, with the power of the gospel and the reality of who you really are. Um, we confess that there are, there are, man, there's things that we believe about you, God, that, we, that just aren't true. They're not, they don't fit with how you've acted in the Bible with love and grace and patience and kindness and sacrifice. We think about Jesus as the visible representation of you. And so, God, we, we just we open ourselves up and ask you to begin to work, to begin to, to help us to relax and to acknowledge and to see even what is shaping us so that we can make progress and draw closer to you. And we also know, God, there are people here that, that don't have a relationship with you at all, um, but they still may struggle with who you are. And we pray that, that you would speak to them and show them through your grace and your understanding and your patience uh, that they can step forward into a relationship with you. And so be with us now as we begin this series. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.